Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast. So you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, we love you. We hope that you love us. And hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. This week we have Sari Gilman, who is a psychotherapist, author and speaker and who has over 35 years experience as a marriage and family therapist. She also has decades of experience as a community worker starting organizations such as Cocoon House and One Childhood Lasts a Lifetime before deciding to focus totally on people development. Her 2014 book, Transform Your Boundaries, highlighted how acknowledging, setting, and clearly articulating our boundaries can deepen our relationship with ourselves. Sari is widely regarded as a leading world expert on boundaries, so it was an absolute honor to have her on to talk about her area of expertise. So what exactly are boundaries? Well, Sari describes boundaries simply as our yeses and our noes, what we feel comfortable doing and what we do not. So why are we talking about boundaries? Well, Sari tells me that as a psychotherapist, she believes that boundaries are at the heart of why most people end up in therapy. This can be boundaries between ourselves and our partners, our parents or our guardians, our jobs, or even our use of technology. I have benefited hugely from Sari's work and I'm delighted that I can share this conversation with you. Below, I've posted a link to her website where you can avail of her books, her talks and courses online. Thanks to Sari for her time and thanks to you for listening. All the best. Sari Gilman, thank you so much for your time. How are you keeping? Welcome to the Earthly Delights. Well, hi, it's great to be here. Th- thank you so much for agreeing. Uh, I know this is a long time in, in the waiting. Uh, I came across one of your big videos on boundaries. I think it was in January. And uh, it, it was just something that was coming up. Almost everyone I spoke to was talking about boundaries. It was almost like coming back after lockdowns. People were realizing that there were certain things that were okay with them that weren't previously and vice versa and trying to communicate that with family members was a whole and partners was a difficult process so i had to reach out to to doctor boundaries <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great yes you know i've been writing and teaching about boundaries for a really long time but a lot of people didn't understand them and now with the pandemic it has brought that word deeper into our cultures And people really are struggling to kind of figure it out. But I'm really glad that people are at least working with the concept more broadly now, because I think this is essential for all of us. For sure, for sure. But before we get into definitions, 
and and a few more examples i'd love to know how you kind of found your way into this field and how did boundaries become such a like big passion for you oh that's such a good question i'm a psychotherapist and honestly boundary work is at the heart of why most people end up in therapy they don't think that's why they're going to therapy but when i work with them um what I noticed over time, person after person, I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years as a therapist, and I I really noticed that there's a pattern. And the pattern is that when we are really struggling, oftentimes with anxiety and depression inside, we haven't been listening to our compass for our yes and our no's, our boundaries. And so I tried to figure out, how do you teach this to people? And I I live in a very small town. It's two blocks long. And I, um, so if I don't get something right, I see people in the supermarket and they're like, you know, that boundary thing just isn't working. (laughs) So I got to tweak it and figure out how people really learn this. And, um, and then I would see people on the street or in the post office and they would be like, Hey, that boundary thing that we worked on years ago, it still sticks. So I understood that i figured out a way to teach it. And um, and then I was invited to speak in a, a small theater that sat like 200 people. And I did a nine minute presentation on the heart of my work, which to me is about understanding boundaries. And um, I didn't know they were filming it that day, but it kind of took off from there. People were crying in the audience. People wanted to all work with me and everybody wanted to talk about their boundaries and tell their boundary stories. So I created workshops and then those, I ended up traveling kind of around the world with those. That's amazing. Uh, On reflection, are you maybe happy that you didn't know it was recording until after? (laughs) No, you should have seen what I was wearing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <That was terrible>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's then funny. I, you know, I, I learned my lesson the hard way. Oh my gosh, everything lives online forever. <laughs> at least get dressed. <laughs> but um, you know, it it really showed me how much the work could resonate even in just a few minutes with people. And so um, then I wrote a mm. book on boundaries. I've written three books on boundaries and I, um, I have a workshop and now I have things online where people can just take the class whenever they want, because, you know, I'm getting older. I, you know, I'm in my sixties now. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be sure people and traveling the world isn't so appealing. No. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Great. Um, well, you mentioned it there, you mentioned that, um, for you, boundaries, the most simple definition is our yeses and our nos. Yes. I, I wonder, would it also be um, productive to maybe talk about what is often misconstrued as boundaries? What what do we often misinterpret as boundaries? And often, just one thing that yeah. I was thinking, sorry, continue. Yeah, we often misinterpret demands as boundaries. <laughs> and I... Um, I have like this ethical philosophy about boundaries that that they can bring us closer together with people when we are respectful and understand each other's boundaries. But when they're delivered in a very disrespectful way, 
they can cause a lot of harm and damage. And so um, I think that it's how we explain boundaries and how we invite others to also share their boundaries with us so that it's really a two-way conversation. It's not all about us just setting our demands and then walking away. It's a, a, about listening to each other and 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 helping to understand our perspectives. So I see it as essential for kind of having a more peaceful planet ultimately. And for for someone who's listening to this and for the first time, they're kind of getting familiar with the idea of boundaries, with the idea of kind of tapping into what is a yes for me, what is okay with me um, in my relationships and what is no. Um, is there is there certain tenets or certain aspects that you help people that you encourage people to use or to remember when expressing the boundaries like you said it's a lot about how how we articulate them yes yes so there's a couple things in that that might help somebody who's really just beginning to start to articulate your boundaries is first of all i like people to look at themselves and work on your personal boundaries with yourself how are you doing with your workaholism how are you doing with over caretaking? Are you taking care of people that can actually take care of themselves? Are you going much further than outside of yourself? So how are you doing with caring for you and your self-care? Because to me, self-care is the first step to boundary work. It's not, our first step is not setting setting limits with other people. Our first step is, how am I doing with self-care? And can I increase it? Do I need leave time for myself? Do I make time with my friends? Am I, am I eating and exercising? Am I getting good sleep? Am I pursuing something creative or spiritual? How's your self-care? And first, increase that. Do better with that because in order to have self-care time, you have to set some boundaries. But once you do some self-care, you get a bit stronger. And part of having boundaries is self-care. It's how we take care of ourselves in our relationship to everyone else. And so we begin with self-care and then you can move into, okay, I'm doing fairly well on that. There are some things I want to say yes to. There are some things I want to say no to. And I would say the first thing to prepare for is pushback. People are going to resist when you say no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so always be ready Absolutely. for that. I'm always ready for that. Like if I'm going to say no to something, I know somebody's going to push. And pushing <laughs> doesn't mean that people don't love you. They will push mm. against you even when they love you. So prepare for that. What are you going to say when they keep pushing? Mm. And how are you going to just hold your boundary and just keep it clear for people and say, you know what? I'm not going to change my mind. This isn't going to work for me. This is enough. Um, and then they may push again because this is how people are used to getting what they want. And when somebody pushes against you, I say, that's your gold star moment. That means they heard you. That means you (laughs) you set your boundary. It means you said no, because now they're pushing against you. So it doesn't mean Uh that you did it wrong because someone pushes against you. And oftentimes people give up their boundary as soon as they get pushback because they think, well, it's not going to work. It is going to work. It just means that you may be with people that push hard. And so mm. you're going to have to hold that fence line because mm. the boundary is up to you. 
It's not up to other people. There are a lot of interesting things that I would like to ask on the back of that. Uh, the, the first would be uh, when I told several people that I was going to be interviewing you, um, several of them asked in and around, how do I set my boundaries uh, while still being there for people? Um, how do I set boundaries for people while also showing that I love them? And you mentioned something that I think is so true, and, and particularly in the Irish culture, where when someone is sick or when someone isn't doing so well, there's this overarching like sense that I have to do everything for them if I can. I have I have to be thinking about them all the time. I have to do this for them, and and they don't ask themselves, wait, can I, how long can I continue this before I just burn out and before I lose the run of myself? And I, I guess I just yes. wonder. What, what are the first steps you would say for someone who is maybe uh, could, could be considered a people pleaser? They really want to do the best for people around them, but they're realizing that they need to set boundaries. But they're also maybe afraid that if they set these boundaries, like you said, they'll be pushed back. Um, yeah. Is there is there advice for maybe the initial stages and then stages on how to re- receive that pushback, yes. but still believe That's- in your boundaries? You know, that comes up all the time for people is people feel guilty if they need to say no or they realize they're at capacity and they don't have more. And we are responsible for recognizing that boundary. That's a self-care boundary is what is my capacity? My capacity to sit with people and listen to people talk about their lives in therapy. You know, I have a lot of patience for that and a lot of genuine interest in that. Other people may not have that kind of patience to listen to other people's stories, right? And so we all have different capacity. So you can't demand of yourself to go beyond your capacity. As soon as you do, you're going to get exhausted. You're going to get sick. You're going to get symptoms. You're going to get migraines. You're going to get stomach pain. Whenever we go past our capacity, our bodies rise up and tell us this is too much. And then you have to respect the boundary that your body is giving you. And so rather than wait until you get a migraine headache or stomach pain because you've gone too far and done too much, you have to be able to recognize where your capacity is and be able to say, I can do this much for you. And then I need to take a break. And I need to do my own self-care because there's nobody taking care of you when you're taking care of somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we have to recognize that caretaking is a very important human thing that we do for each other. Mm -hmm. But it's also something that you must do for yourself. So as long as you're taking care of someone else and you're taking care of you, you're going to be fine. But if you're taking care of someone else and you're not taking care of you, you're not going to be fine. You're going to be screwed. And do you think a big issue for people is that they don't acknowledge when they are at capacity or past their capacity? That's right. And then Mm. they go down and they're not any good for anybody because when you go past your capacity, you get ill. That is our immune system goes down. And Mm. so then you can't really do anything for anybody. And then you get resentful, you get angry, you get mental health symptoms, you get short with people, you get burned out. Mm. So I always say, 
to think of building a web of resources of others that can help you care for someone when you're caring for someone deeply and to make sure that you're leaving some time where you're able to care for you. It's essential. And if you're not caring for you while you care for someone else, you're going to get symptoms. But our capacity gets better if we care for ourselves also and take that time for a walk alone. Take that time to listen to music that we love. Take that time to read books that we enjoy. We have to take a little time for ourselves. And if maybe it's best if we could use an example. Um, so, for instance, mm-hmm. um, I work in a very stressful job, and and when I come home, there it's very often that my partner um, wants to talk with me straight away, or wants to tell me about someone who's who's having a tough time in her life. But I'm I'm not at a place where I can actually fully engage with that. Um, and so, would an example be that I explain to my partner, I'm sorry. I do care about this, but right now I'm not able to I'm, it, the way I would like to or the way you would like me to. Can you give me an hour or can you give me some time? And then we can, w- would that be a good example? That is a good example, except rather than mm-hmm. saying, can you give me an hour? Because <laughs> now you're asking permission <laughs> for the boundary that you need. <laughs> I would rather you say, I need an hour. And then I really want to hear what's happened in your day, but I need that one hour of quiet for me or walking time or something. I call it ear baths, you know, because I have a job where I listen all day. So when I come home, I'm not ready to really listen more. Sometimes when I come home, I need that time to like take a little ear bath and not listen to anything for a bit. And then I'm ready to transition. So I just don't want you to say, can I? Because okay. now you're not really clarifying that you need the boundary because then the person will just say, uh, no, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> but rather, <laughs> you say, I'm ta- I need the first hour and I'll remind you if you forget. Mm-hmm. I just need the first hour and I need that break. And then let's check in and make sure I'm in a place where I can listen because I want to give you my full attention. Okay, I like that. I'll, I'll remember that. And is there i'm sure you have um patients or you've spoken with people who are in these initial stages of setting the boundaries and it, it like you said the pushback comes is there is there kind of some like practice or something that you tell people to help them kind of think back into the realization that they need the boundary that although they also want this person to love them and 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 they want to care for this person this boundary is essential for them sustaining a healthy life. Is there something that you kind of help do to, because, you know, I know a lot of people that I speak to, they understand it in theory, right? They know practically that I need this certain time for myself and I, and I can't do this at this time because my mind is usually somewhere else. And But placing placing that boundary, it's like, oh, well, what if he doesn't receive it well? And what if he thinks that... Um, Oh, please, let's let everybody, let's let all the grown-ups in our lives take care of their own feelings. (laughs) You don't have to spend any time thinking about how other people are going to feel. You can prepare for what you will say when they Mm -hmm. say something to you. You can prepare for thinking about what they might say to you. But you don't need to spend any time 
thinking about what other people feel. Their feelings belong to them. And all our feelings want is to be understood. Let me Mm. repeat that. All feelings just want to be understood. So what I would say is, I understand you're upset about this, and I hear you. That doesn't mean that now inside my head I move my boundary around because someone is having feelings. They're allowed to have feelings. They're allowed to be angry. They're allowed to be upset. I'm not walking around preventing everyone from getting upset. But I want to know that I say and you say your boundary in a way that is kind, that is clear, and that you'll stay with it even when people have very big feelings about it. Everybody doesn't have to like my boundaries. That's okay. I I just, when you are listening to your boundaries inside of you, because you know you're at capacity, because you know you need something, when you are listening to that, that's your wisdom. That's the wisest part of you trying to guide you in life. And I trust your wisdom. I want you to trust your wisdom. You know, in therapy, how do you think I help people? I mean, I don't know what total strangers need to do to make their lives better, but that's why people come to therapy. They want to feel better. But what I do know is that you're wise and that you have this wisdom inside of you. And I tune into what is your wisdom saying? And I trust that more so than most people will trust their own wisdom. And then I teach you in therapy to trust your own wisdom. Because that, when you listen to that voice inside that says, I need to end this relationship. Or when you listen to that voice inside that says, I need a break, I'm exhausted. You're listening to your wisdom. And when you ignore it and say, I can't take a break, I need to just push through, I need to keep going, well, now you're not listening to your own wisdom and your own voice, and you're going to run into trouble that way. It's not really a, a model for success in life. Learning to trust that voice inside of you and know that it's wise, and it is not here to take care of the feelings of other people. And neither are you. You can't take care of other people's feelings. I'm a psychotherapist and I don't take care of anybody's feelings. I listen to their feelings. I hear their feelings. I understand their feelings. Our feelings just want to be understood. I get it. I hear you. You're angry. I can see that. Sorry you're having a hard day. (laughs) that's the extent of it. It doesn't mean I need to change my boundary for gosh sakes. It just means they're having (laughs) a hard day. Or maybe they learned when they were little kids that the angrier they got, the more the boundaries moved. Mm. Because when I was kind of preparing for this interview, I couldn't help but feel that the message that would come up over and over again was that um, I can't change how you feel. You know, like as in, I'm not responsible for you feeling okay all the time. I can only be responsible for how I feel. <laughs> exactly. And isn't that a hard enough job? <laughs> Just manage your own feelings. It's plenty. You're not equipped to manage anybody's feelings and neither is anybody else. So yeah. just our feelings just want to be understood. Guess I understand that you're angry. Mm-hmm. Mm. I understand that. That's all I would do with it. But it doesn't mean that I did something wrong because you got angry. It just means okay. that's the reaction you went into. 
Okay. okay. You're allowed to be angry. It's not how I want okay. to spend my day, but go right ahead. <laughs> okay. And j just just so uh, maybe it's more clear for like myself and other people listening. Yes. Uh, maybe another example would be um, someone in your life that is close to you uh, really wants, like really depends on you as their form of catharsis whether that's speaking about something usually oh, speaking doesn't about that something. get exhausting sometimes yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, i guess if you're someone who maybe takes pride in the fact that they can help people in such a position but also gets overwhelmed by the fact that maybe it happens a lot and it, like you said people are reaching their capacity is there something different that you would say to someone um, because uh, remember you, you kind of fixed my statement, yes. but is there something different you would say for someone who it seems that like their, their need is urgent, uh, you know, i.e. they're like crying and, and they really need, they express that they need you at this moment, but you don't have yes. that right now. Yes. Is there something different that you would right. say in that? Which is, I would, I would then say, I care about you. I can hear that you're in distress. I can check in with you tomorrow morning, or I can check in with you on Monday at 10, or this is when I'm available. Let me know if that, if, if that would be a good time to check in. And if they're like, no, I need to check in right now. I'm sorry. You need to check with someone else. It, to me, it almost sounds like you're a strict assistant who's not letting you get to the boss. <laughs> right sorry exactly, the boss is busy right now <laughs> that's right because that i can't none of us can be totally available to everyone all the time you know sometimes you're at your job and you're working right and you can't be interrupted i mean my phone cannot be on when i am working with a client in therapy and i work with clients back to back all day so my phone is off so that means you know, because we have these phones, we think now it means we're all supposed to be available all the time. But your phone has settings on it. And it's okay to, to decide who are the one or two people that you need to be available to all the time. But you can't be available to everyone. Sometimes I hear people say to all their friends, you can call me anytime. And I just want to sit them down and go, how does that work for you? I mean, everybody just calling you all the time. I mean, two in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> every weekend when you're on holiday. I was with a friend of mine who um, she is a sponsor in AA. And so her sponsees can call her anytime. <laughs> her okay. didn't stop. And I just watched. Mm. And we went through several days of the phone. Bing. I mean, she was just called all the time, one thing after another. And um, I just asked her, how does that feel for you? And she said, I never really thought about it. Mm -hmm. And then next time we got together on a little trip together, her phone was not binging. And I said, oh. I just noticed your phone's very quiet. Has everybody gone on vacation? What happened? <laughs> And she said, I don't want to be interrupted when I'm on vacation. I said, mm -hmm. that sounds good. She goes, so I, I asked people to make other plans for support. And I was like, I must feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> 
So rather than say to somebody, turn off your phone or whatever, I just say to people, how's that, how's that, how is that for you? How is that? Mm-hmm. Our phones, we didn't used to have phones. Remember, I'm in my 60s. We didn't used to have phones. They didn't, they didn't go with us everywhere we went. We weren't called all the time. We weren't getting text messages, emails, phone calls. Um, we didn't get these beeps and bongs. It was better. You had to be near an actual telephone and it had a ring for you to get a call from someone. (laughs) And it's in some ways it was better, but because I know that because I had that reference point, I understand that this phone of mine can have some boundaries. I can have boundaries with it. You know, that maybe younger generations don't realize they can have more boundaries with their phones because they never had them. It's funny you mentioned that. I was literally having a conversation today about how it's there's like an overarching narrative, particularly in the last like 15, 20 years about like a kind of war on limits. Like as in, are oh, you saying I can't, we can't do that or I can't do that? Well, why don't, like for instance, we had the phone, but we didn't have internet with the phone. But what if we had internet with the phone? And then what if we had uh, 3G with the phone and 5G with the phone? And then like, that's just one example of almost like, there's an overarching thing like with technology and industry. It's like, okay, we'll give you more when that actually maybe sometimes we don't need more. Maybe the, li- the limits are, are okay. Right. That's exactly mm. it. You just, what you just said was so important. Limits are okay. There are no mm. boundaries with technology. There are no yeah. boundaries on social media. There are mm. none out there. The only boundaries that are on social media are the ones you bring to it. Yeah. And that's really important for people to realize that this comes with no limits. And is that really okay for us as humans? Do we really need everything instantly? Do I even want to become that kind of a human being that needs everything immediately? I don't know. Honestly, I don't think that's really good for my mind. Yeah. I don't mind waiting. Patience yeah. is also a very useful thing when you deal with humans. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I value my patience, right? We need to be patient yeah. with each other. It's true. It's true. I even I, I like what you said, though. I'll try to bring that forward, the, the idea of like maybe not judging the person for that situation, but more going, well, how is it working for you? And then, like you said, probably more often than not, they haven't thought about it because it is so inundated. So it's not only your friend, but maybe it's someone who gets emails constantly from work or someone whose relative is sick and it's just always going in, always going to the hospital, always going to the hospital. Or, um, you know, there's countless examples where it's clear that they maybe haven't given themselves the time to actually even check in how they feel about it. That's right. There isn't that breathing space because you become automatic. And Mm. it's really good self-care to look at all the things around us in our lives that are maybe automatic and what could we do differently? And where are those expectations coming from? You know, I have that, I have a very strange relationship with social media. If I get on my social media account, it is not for more than 15 seconds to a minute in a day. Um, Only because I don't really, I mean, there, there is, it was fun to watch what everyone was having for breakfast up to a point. And now it's not that interesting. <laughs> and um, the other is I don't like getting my news there. Um, 
so I have sources for my news, but I also don't want news all day long. I think that has really had a destructive effect on people to have the 24-hour news coming at you all the time and that pressure to, to be aware of it, but also to be constantly checked in with maybe some very negative things that are happening and how that affects you. Some people are very affected by the news and it brings mm. them down. And 24 hours a day, it's pretty intense to manage all that. So I have mm. like a time during the day when I check news and I check it um, in a way that's quiet. I like to read it, not have somebody yelling at me about what's happening, <laughs> <laughs> telling me how awful it is. I like to just read it. And I have a few sources that I'll read and then I close it. And um, I'm not getting news all day long because that would be a little too much for me psychologically. So you have to look at what works for you. Mm. Sorry, I wasn't anticipating on bringing this up, but I do want your opinion on it now. Um, I listened to an interesting <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I listened to an interesting podcast where the host talked about how he believes, um, for instance, the war in Ukraine received a lot of attention over the last few, few months um, and that he felt that a lot of people were using this, but also other like huge world events as almost an unconscious distraction from checking in what's going on with themselves. I, I wonder, do you think this would fit in? I know you talk about the idea, like sometimes we do things to numb out. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, I think there is a deep grief about the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that humanity cares about others. And when people are struggling with listening to what's happening with Ukraine and the people there being warred upon and attacked, um, I hope that I live in a world where there's that kind of empathy. I hope mm. that people care. I hope people are troubled by this because it is very troubling. And I think numbing out is not feeling it. I think numbing out is avoiding mm. feeling it, but that it, there are things happening in our world that are troubling and um, it's okay to know what it is that makes you care about humanity, even though it's a mm. lot to carry and there might not be something you can do about it. Um, it's important that we acknowledge the grief that we feel for the world. We have grief about climate change. We have grief about that war. We have grief about a lot of things. And when I scratch just below the surface of anyone these days, there is grief right there. We are all grieving mm -hmm. a lot right now, particularly from the pandemic and mm -hmm. much of what, mm -hmm. what was lost for many of us. Many businesses went under. Many people had to change everything. And a lot of fear that people experienced and a lot was lost in that, that sense of safety that, or that sense of predictability that the world keeps going. You know, we didn't know that the world could mm. just shut down. Right. And so there's a lot mm -hmm. of disillusionment. There's a lot of grief as mm -hmm. a result. And, and people lost a lot of people during the pandemic. There's been a lot of death of, you know, and people Absolutely. that maybe you didn't get a chance to grieve. And so 
expressing that grief or knowing that you are grieving. I like to journal with my grief or write poetry with it or do a little bit of art. You know, our grief needs a place to be expressed and to be understood. You know, it's that feeling again of understanding. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're grieving because of what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, that that speaks to your humanity. No, absolutely, Sarah. Sorry, I know you, I didn't, I appreciate your opinion there. I I guess I didn't articulate it just perfectly in the sense that I understand that. I understand that there's a need to grieve for like atrocious events. But I guess I didn't add that like maybe I wonder, you said we need a place to grieve. And I think sometimes I think that we think that the place to grieve is, um, is social media or the place to grieve or that we that finding out every last detail about every last um change i don't i don't know how that how sustainable that is for for our health that that's that's kind of what i was getting at so i didn't mean yeah some people need a break from i didn't mean right some people are over Mm. over stimulated by it um and it's too much or they're taking in more than they can handle because they don't have a boundary with some of the news And so that's what I meant by the 24-hour news cycle can be too much for us. So you have to kind of look at how does it Mm -hmm. affect you? It's very personal. How much is your capacity? And what helps you cope? You know, sometimes I'll get together with a girlfriend for a walk, and maybe that friend starts talking about politics. Politics is pretty intense in the United States these days. Um, And I'm just taking a break with a girlfriend. I don't really want to talk about, you know, what our political parties are doing. And I'll say, you know, I kind of need a break from talking about politics right now. I'm just not ready. And that gives me a little time with my friend to say, "I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything else. I just can't do politics every time we take a walk. Um. And that's okay. I'm stating my boundary and what I need. And if you need to talk about politics with someone, you need a different girlfriend because I'm not open to to spending my free time talking about politics. It's just not what I want to do. I think about politics. I read mm-hmm. about politics. I learn about it. I I have my people that I support, but I don't need to talk a lot about it. Some people do. Mm-hmm. Does that... <laughs> Is that more clear? Yeah, no, no, it is. It is. Um, another another question, and it follows on from this that I wanted to ask is: It seems that the more we become aware of our own boundaries, that we also maybe need to become more okay with conflict, and that conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um. I've never done this before, but I wonder if you could finish the sentence like a relationship without conflict is. (laughs) (laughs) A relationship without conflict is deep understanding. Tells me that there's very deep understanding that we have really come to a place where we hear each other and we don't need to have conflict around respecting each other. And in your experience, does that does that come after a long period of many conflicts to reach that point? Of many conversations, 
right? And so I think we have conflicts because we don't understand each other's deeper boundaries or needs, and we're not willing to negotiate or respect that with each other or find where is that place where it can work for both of us? What's the win-win? Where is that place where everybody is getting what it is that they need in our relationship? And yes, there could be conflict about that, but it's what do we do to recover from the conflict and create better understanding and say, I wonder if we're really understanding each other because there's something deeper Mm. below the surface of any conflict. And instead of talking about the conflict, which is whatever the thing is that we have two different opinions about, I want to talk about what's underneath that conflict. Why is there a need for that thing? Why are we fighting about that? What's what's that deep need underneath there that we're not talking about? And let's talk about what's under the conflict so that we can resolve the conflict. But we have to get to what's underneath there. Okay, I think I understand. So, com- yeah, it does, it does. Um, maybe an example again might might help listeners. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. um, my my partner uh, gets really frustrated at me for not cleaning the plates, uh, and I push back because um, yesterday I didn't clean the plates and it was fine. Uh, and to me, for instance, this is an example that on the surface the argument is about. Uh, me not cleaning the plates, when the plates but clean. maybe deeper it's something about sorry yeah um, maybe deeper it's about maybe beneath the... do, do things feel even between us are we both doing a fair amount of chores do we feel taken advantage of somehow in the relationship do we feel bossed around a little bit like i don't mind doing the plates but i want to do them when i do them um or i don't want to be told when to do them i'm a grown-up or maybe mm-hmm. what's going on is mm-hmm. maybe your partner is doing the lion's share of cleaning and feels like, wow, I've just asked you to do one thing. Like, can't you just do that one thing? So it's what's underneath mm-hmm. that conflict. Where is the resentment about how clean things are, when they're clean, why she might not want to, or your partner might not want to do the plates over again after you've cleaned them because they're not clean enough. Like, what's really going on here underneath it? And it may be, well, nothing is ever done good enough or nothing's ever finished. Or, you know, there may be, there's a deeper conversation. And so that is how we address conflict is, okay, we're in conflict, but let's figure out what the deeper problem is. What's really going on that's unmet And be careful, you know, with trying to figure out what's, what is the thing that we can really solve? What do I need to understand that I'm missing? Mm, That's great. Sorry, I I just have a few more questions. Uh, One, you mentioned you might feel resentful. And that's something that I picked up on several uh, of your work, several pieces of your work. I wonder if you could like maybe succinctly uh, explain why um, some people uh, when they don't express the needs, become resentful. And then I wonder if you yeah. have had the experience where you've met people and they haven't even realized that they are resentful. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, if you let resentment go on and on too long, it turns to bitterness. And when people are bitter, there's something wrong with everything for them in life. 
They're always complaining. There's a bitterness there. And bitterness has to do with started as resentment. And it just went on and on too long. And so resentment is when we don't solve the conflicts or the problems in our life. And we just ignore them or we let them go on or we feel like our partner doesn't resolve it with us or the boss that we work for doesn't respect us or hear us. But resentment is usually I asked for something from you and then you agreed to it and then it didn't happen. Now I resent you because I asked, you agreed, and then it didn't happen. Or sometimes people get silently resentful because they want other people to read their minds. So the first thing is, have you asked for this? Did you tell your partner that you want the dishes cleaned? Yes. Okay. Did your partner, what did your partner say to that? My partner agreed to clean the dishes every day. Okay. And now my partner's not cleaning the dishes. So now I'm resentful. Okay. So what are you going to do to address your resentment is the first thing is say it. I'm getting resentful because I thought we had an understanding. Usually people are resentful because they thought they had an agreement. And then they turned out there is no agreement or the other person broke the agreement. And some people break agreements a lot. And that just creates a ton of resentment. They're always late. They're never on time. And so when you find yourself saying things like my partner always, never, when you feel like it's the whole thing, that's usually a sign of resentment. And we want to deal with our resentments and we want to get to a point of forgiveness because there has to be genuine what's below the resentment, what's the real conflict, what's the actual thing that we can solve. How can we fix this? When my partner, I came home one day and I had done like the gardening and I, I was pretty proud of myself. I had trimmed everything and I left everything all over the yard and I was so excited for my partner to come home and see it. He walks in, he looks at the yard, he says nothing. And I said, I worked so hard on the yard. Did you notice? And he said, what I notice is you left all the clippings on the ground. You left all the tools in the garden. You didn't put anything away. And I looked at him and I said, that is true. And that was his resentment, right? I said, that is true. Let me go fix that. When my partner tells me that he's resentful about something or something bothers him, I'm on his team. I say, how can I fix that? If it's something I did, which the garden was something I did. So rather than say, but you didn't notice how great I did this and blah, blah, blah. I didn't do that. Instead, I, I heard his feelings about that. And I said, let me go fix that. I'm going to go right out and clean it up because you're right. You're right. I did not clean it up. And what a terrible statement that must have been to him. Like, I go out and do the work, and then you clean up after me. I mean, that's pretty awful. (laughs) You know, we have to own our behavior. That's how you fix Mm -hmm. resentment, is you get on your partner's team and say, how can we make this a win-win? How can I help? That's great, sorry. And just finally then, I would love, um, you mentioned that it's important to understand 
uh, sorry, it's, it's important to know our partner's boundaries and the people that's closest to us in boundaries, but it's almost even more important and more fruitful to understand why. Because, you know, some people might have boundaries and on the surface you think they're ludicrous or you think, Jeez, that's mad, isn't it? But there might be a real strong, deep reason for it. And then that will help you kind of respect that boundary even more. Yes. And I think that's what our conversation is about, is there is always a deeper thing for people. And you create connection and intimacy with those around you when you understand their deeper reasonings for things that they need. And when you understand your own, that is a level of depth and connection. That's where our hearts come from. That's beautiful, Sari. Thank you so much for your time. Thank um, you. We was- always just close. We always... Thank you. We always just close by asking our guests how do they take care of their mental health? It maybe you've uh, a few key tenants to keep in yourself good. Right now these days, well, I always recommend that you change up things that make you feel good, but these days for me it's watercoloring. Yeah, I do a lot of watercolor oh, nice. and I do journaling. Uh, in the morning and one of my books is a journal book on boundaries so I I I really believe in journaling and I really believe in doing art to express and know your feelings beautiful thank you so much for your time sorry Um, thank you and I've left I've left um, all links to to your books and to your YouTube videos for people who want to learn more about you and Yeah, I really appreciate your time. And I think this will be so helpful for a lot of people. Well, what a great interview. I really, I really hope people get the depth that we covered in this. And I just so appreciate that you took us way below the surface. So thanks for that. Take good care. Be well. Thanks for your work. You and your family and those you care about be well. 